The Timberwolves are still in first place. They are definitely teetering on the brink of creating a lot of conversation around whether or not they are legitimate contenders. And it's all going to come down to can they clean up the way that they finish in closed games against the elite competition, against the elite players? It's all going to come down to can they clean up the turnover problem? Can they make the mature decisions? And that's what we're here to find out in the second half of the season. But for the first half of the season, the Timberwolves finished the first 41 games 30-11. and 11. They have started the second half of the season 0-1 but they started the beginning of the season 0-1. So that means nothing. You are tuned in to the Coach and the Culture podcast. I am Coach Frank. Usually I am joined by my son and my partner in this podcast, hosting Thang, the proprietor of Yes Trees, Lance Gardner. Today, Lance is traveling. I think he hopped on the plane and went somewhere warm. If I know him, it probably to play some softball tournament in Florida or Vegas or something like that uh, because him and his wife are expecting in April. So he's trying to get it all in before he can't go anywhere and he joins the adult world like the rest of us <laughs> that are parents. And, of course, I'm joined by – the super producer himself, none other than none other than Lloyd Leon Coop, aka Deuce Coop. What's happening, man? How you doing today? I'm all right, brother. How you feeling, man? Oh uh, man, I am amped. I'm wired, right? I wish Lance was here because I am wired after last night's Oklahoma City game. I want to get right to that, and we are going to talk a lot about that game over the course of this podcast. But in the tradition, as we always do on Sundays when we record, for those of you who are first listening to the Coach and the Culture podcast, we record every Sunday, and the first thing we do is we we recap the week that was for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And then we kind of talk about from a coaching perspective or in the case of my son, from a player's perspective, I also played uh, college ball. Lance played college ball. My father played college ball. I've been coaching at the high school and youth levels for 20 years. I am currently um, JV coach and varsity assistant at Richfield High School. Um, and so and I bring things from a coach's mindset. Um, and so we recap the week that was and kind of talk about the min the minutia or the the details that the average fan um, that uh, loves watching the game, loves talking about the Timberwolves, loves rooting for the Timberwolves, but they might not catch those little things that the way a coach is looking at the team, the situations they put themselves into. Um, I'm a big Chris Finch backer. For those of you just listening, if you're trying to uh, tuning in for the first time, if you expect to hear me do a lot of Chris Finch bashing, well, you're not going to get that. I'm not going to talk about his offense. I have a very different perspective from a coach's perspective on his offense than the stereotypical chatter that has become, you know, bad spacing, bad ball movement. Finch is supposed to be this offensive genius, but, you know, the cat and Rudy thing can never work. And the, yes, I understand the Timberwolves have an offensive rating that is around 19th or 20th in the league. Not great. I personally don't think that is as much Chris Finch or the offense he wants to run or structure as I think it is on the players. 
and finding that balance between um, utilizing the freedom he gives them and disciplining themselves and learning how to make it all happen together. And I think in this conversation today, since I'm flying solo, I also might, along with a recap of the last week and lots to talk about last night's game and uh, lots to talk about Anthony Edwards uh, is going to be on the show today. I also think I might give my opinion finally on this whole structure versus flow. What is structure? What is flow? I think so many people uh, misconstrue or have misconceptions about what structure versus flow actually is. And uh, then therefore determine opinions based on their idea of it, not really understanding what uh, Chris Finch is saying or what he's going for when he talks about flow, because flow is not devoid of structure and structure is not devoid of flow and plays are not devoid of flow. You can call all the plays you want. The players still have to read, react, and flow out of those plays. So that might be a little bit of a conversation. We'll see how much time we have. If we don't talk about it this week, we'll talk about it next week. Live from the Dream Shop, where we record um, on YouTube every other Sunday. So if you're tuning in for the first time, this particular Sunday is our audio version of our podcast. And then next Sunday, we will be live from the Dream Shop, 3701 Fremont Avenue, North Minneapolis, on location. Lance and I sit in our cozy, comfy chairs, and we break down Timberwolves analysis on location. And the videography is, of course, provided by none other than the super producer, Lloyd Leon Coop. So let's get this show on the road. It is Sunday, January 21st, the week that was the Minnesota Timberwolves go 109-105 victory over the Clippers, a game in which Lance and I were in attendance, really good seats, sitting close enough to the floor to be able to see exactly what was going on out there. Uh, and then they went to Detroit, got a 124-117 to win, a game in which Chris Finch was not happy even though he was, of course, pleased with the win because a win is a win in the NBA. But Coach Finch definitely wasn't happy with the way they allowed Detroit to kind of hang around. The Timberwolves uh, did pull away late, and then Detroit got some garbage baskets um, to make the final score seem a little closer than the end of the game actually was. The Timberwolves were able to finally get separation in the fourth quarter, but... You know, if the term is don't play with your food, they definitely were gargling their Kool-Aid and doing that thing, you know, that you did as an elementary school kid at the cafeteria table when you tapped your friend and then you opened your mouth so you could show them your chewed up food in your mouth. They definitely did some playing with their food. And uh, and then in further in the play with their food mode, a underhanded uh under undermanned Grizzlies team, no Ja, no Bane, um, of course, no Stephen Adams, no Clark. Uh, the the usual suspects that cause the Timberwolves all kinds of problems when they play the Grizzlies were not playing, and uh, the Timberwolves absolutely played with their food for three quarters. It took a 37-17, 20-point fourth quarter for the Timberwolves to finally pull away. It took Mike Conley kind of, you know, being – the uh, Jedi Mike 
of the team, you know, the 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 Jedi of the the the, the Yoda of the Jedi Council in the fourth quarter. Um, along with some highlight heroics from Anthony Edwards in the second half. He went for 26 and a half uh, for them to finally put the Grizzlies away, the very undermanned Grizzlies. We're going to talk a little bit about that game because there were some things that transpired in all three of those games. The Clippers win, the Pistons win, and the Grizzlies win that finally came back to bite the Timberwolves, the cliche, bite them in the butt, to bite the Timberwolves in the butt against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And if you keep... This new Charmin Ultra Soft Smooth Chair is so soft. Hey, man, what is you over there watching? (laughs) And where is your wife? Because I'm talking basketball, and all of a sudden I heard something that sounded real adult entertainment-ish over there, man. Look, bro. So now I'm gonna need you to put both hands where I can see. <laughs> Man, I was on our podcast. I'm on NBA. I promise you, bro. It was the uh, Charmin's commercial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, don't be speaking Charmin while I'm talking, man. <laughs> I'm trying to find some stats. I went. I'm on the NBA joint, man. And then this commercial. Sorry about that. Yeah, blaming the NBA app, huh? <laughs> oh, man, don't you edit that out. <laughs> all right. It's there, it's there. All right, all right. What was I talking about? Back to what I was talking about. So there were some things that have transpired in the Clippers game, the Pistons game, and the Grizzlies 118-103 uh, win that ultimately led to the loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder. It all finally kind of caught up to them. Of course, last night they lose to the Thunder 102 to 97. And I'm I'm amped about that game. I, I very rarely this year have I really kind of been pissed off about the outcome of a game. But uh I'll be honest with you, man. I'm a little pissed off about the outcome of last night's game because it was completely unnecessary. Uh, for them to lose that game. And it follows uh, a concerning trend that we saw at Dallas. We saw that trend at Boston. And then now, um, once again, against Oklahoma City, it pops up, which is them uh, basically shutting the bed. Uh, and when you're playing against teams with superstar, all-NBA caliber, MVP list caliber players that are not going to make mistakes down the stretch and they are going to take complete advantage of all the mistakes you make down the stretch. We saw it with Kyrie and Luca. We saw it with Tatum uh, and, and Drew Holiday and company. And now we saw it again last night with Shea. But I digress. Let's uh, start this off properly. Let's go back to last Sunday. Lance and I were in the Target Center to watch the Timberwolves go against the Los Angeles Clippers who come into the Target Center last Sunday. Really the hottest team in the NBA, the hottest team by far since the start of the new year. Uh, A game that I think a lot of people wanted to see how the Timberwolves would match up against the Clippers. I know I was curious to see how they were going to match up. And more importantly, on the heels of that Boston end-of-game meltdown and that Dallas end-of-game meltdown, Lance and I talked about it right here on the show 
one of the most interesting things for us as we left to go to the game and watch it was going to be how would the Timberwolves close a close game against the Clippers when you pretty much knew that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard were not going to beat themselves down the stretch and James Harden were not going to beat themselves down the stretch of that game. Well, they do go on and beat the Clippers. They overcome a sloppy closing stretch um, filled with turnovers, which has become a trend. Uh, they overcome it because Rudy Gobert made clutch free throws four in a row down the stretch. And because Rudy Gobert was outstanding on the defensive end down the stretch of that game, including a big block on Kawhi. And Rudy kind of saved the day. I, I tweeted after that game that, um, you know, Ant had a couple bad turnovers. Uh, Rudy Gobert absolutely saved the day. It was interesting to see how they closed that game with Cat off the floor. I think Chris Finch just decided that they needed defense more than they needed offense. And the best way to defend the Clippers and play with the lead um, was to only have one of the bigs on the floor. Obviously, the more uh, prominent of the defending big between the two, between Rudy and Cat, and then they go with Kyle Anderson so that they can match up better with the Clippers. So I thought that was interesting uh, to see how Chris Finch decided to kind of go offense for defense substitution and close uh, with Rudy on the floor and Cat not on the floor for the most part in that game. But it was sloppy. It wasn't clean. They made just enough plays and got just enough stops and just enough misses uh, some shots that the Clippers might normally hit. I believe the next night uh, or the next game, Paul George absolutely made those shots against Oklahoma City in a win. And uh, so, you know, it's a make or miss league. But the the red flag was much like the Dallas game, much like the Boston game, turnovers and poor decision making down the stretch almost let the Clippers uh, steal one in Target Center in a game in which the Timberwolves really kind of controlled for most of that game. And so that was kind of foreshadowing of things to come, while at the same time a continuum of things that had been going on. And again, you go on Twitter and a lot of people are blaming Finch, and you know it's even to the extent of, well, Finch has got to get these guys you know, they, Finch has got to hold these guys accountable. Finch has got to hold these guys accountable. And I just want to say, as somebody who coaches high school players, the decision, the balance between playing the players that you know will win the game and holding them accountable at a time when it's winning time or trying to, quote, unquote, teach them a lesson. I just think you have to coach to really understand how to really um, deal with that balance, really how to how to how to how to juggle that mindset and that balance. And in the NBA, at the end of the day, these guys are paid professionals and the outcome is the accountability. Now, I, I said that to somebody in the Boston game. When I was talking with them about, you know, the the shot selection and shot selection and the turnovers and the decision making down the stretch. And, you know, they're like, at what point in time do you bench him? You don't. I mean, you got to go a long way before you bench him in year four. Now, in year one and in year two, there were a couple of times where Chris Fish benched Anthony Edwards down the stretch of games for decision making. But at this point in time, Ant is playing with $50 million dollars of bonus money on the line, the difference between the max contract that he signed and the super max bonus. 
you lose your player when you bench your player who has $50 million on the line. And Chris Finch has said multiple times that, you know, this league is about winning, but it's also about making money and securing your financial future for your families. Generational money, right? And so you you lose a guy if you make the wrong decision when you're trying to find that balance. And the outcome of the games ultimately is the accountability. No question about that. Okay, so um, we're going to move on from the Clippers game and move on to Detroit game. And this is where I feel like the Detroit and Memphis game played a big role in um, the game last night. One, I think that for the most part, both Detroit and Memphis played harder than the Wolves. Now, you're going to get some of that because you have players on Detroit's team and on Memphis's team due to the injuries, or in Detroit's case, just the youth and the bad record and trying to get their legs in the NBA. You're going to have some of that because you got guys that are fighting for their NBA basketball careers. The Wolves are fighting for a one seed, and yeah, that should be motivation enough. That should make you hungry. But if they don't get the one seed, they're not going to starve to death. You got guys on the Detroit Pistons that are playing to stay in the league. You got guys on the Detroit Pistons that are playing to maybe hopefully get traded out of Detroit or be able to leave Detroit as a free agent because Detroit is a ways away, right? And so um, I always tell my teams as a coach, I always tell my teams the number one first step in to win a basketball game is you have to play as hard or harder than your opponent. That's the first step. Then the second step is you have to play as smart or smarter than your opponent. Do those two things. You always give yourself a chance. Now you can do those two things and your opponent just have more skill, more talent, more athleticism, and they're still going to beat you. But if you play harder than your opponent and you play smarter than your opponent, you give yourself a chance. And in a lot of ways, I feel like Detroit played harder than the Timberwolves and played with more desire and more passion. And the Timberwolves kind of played with their food. And then at winning time, because they know what the number one defense in the league looks like, they were able to put the clamps down and get some separation. But in the process, you got Mike Conley out there playing for 30 minutes in the game in which in a real ideal situation, first game of a back-to-back road and home First game of three three games in four nights with the third game foreshadowing being a matchup between the number one and the number two seed in the West. When you put those two things, when you put all that together, Mike Conley having to play 30 minutes against a four-win Detroit team on the road doesn't exactly help you as you move forward. Okay, So then we follow that up with the Memphis Grizzlies game. And Taylor Jenkins, I I love Taylor Jenkins as a coach because he coaches hard nose, and it doesn't matter who they throw out there. Them guys are going to play hard. They're going to fight. They're going to compete. It just doesn't matter. And so much like the Detroit game, you come in here with the Memphis team that has some organizational pride. In despite of the fact that there's no Ja, there's no Bain, you know, there's no there's no Steven Adams, there's no Brandon Clark. You know, they got all of these guys out, but this is a team with organizational pride. They are not far removed from some deep playoff runs. They have gone through a lot. 
And you got guys that knows that if you go out there and you play with grit and you play with toughness, I mean, they just went into Golden State and be Golden State with this same cast of characters. So these guys, again, they're playing for their NBA careers. They're playing for an organization that has toughness and competitiveness as a standard. And the Wolves didn't match their intensity for the better part of three quarters. And then finally in the fourth quarter, you put the hammer down. Like I mentioned earlier, you go ahead and you and you outscore them by 20 points in the fourth quarter. But again, Mike Conley has to play almost 30 minutes. I believe he played 29 plus minutes. So on two nights in which you've had two bad teams, two inexperienced teams in terms of personnel, two teams that as a number one seed, you should throttle. You don't. And now you got your 36-year-old point guard playing a total of 60 minutes in those two games. And then you get one day of rest before you go and you have to play a one-versus-two game against an Oklahoma City team that just their personnel and the way that they play, you've got to be on your business. You've got you've got to play with a lot of energy. You've got to play with a lot of effort. You've got to play focus. You have to play clean. And you have to compete. And so um, they didn't set themselves up well by the way that they played um, in Detroit and home against Memphis. And the turnovers have continued to be a bugaboo. They were a bugaboo against the Clippers. I want to say they had 18 of them. Uh, let me double check that for sure because I don't want to, I don't want somebody to hit me up on Twitter and be like, know what you're talking about, Frank. Um, and sometimes I hit myself up and be like, "No, what you're talking about, Frank?" So let me just double check that before I, before I, uh, oh, I'm sorry, 17 turnovers, 17 turnovers against the Clippers, way too many. Again, an undermanned Detroit team, they only have eight turnovers, protect the ball a lot better, 32 assists. They just didn't play any defense, right? Then they come home and play against the Grizzlies. And I believe they had 14 turnovers that game. Yep, 14 turnovers again against a Grizzlies team that doesn't have all their guys. 14 is too many. Case in point, we played a team on Saturday, my high school team. We played a team on Saturday that we knew going into the game that we were just much better than. We had, as part of our game plan, we were going to play some guys that normally play JV that are teeter-tottering on that varsity rotation. We knew that we put it in the game plan that we were going to give those guys some prime first half minutes while the game was still in doubt because we want to see how they react to the bright lights. But we knew we were going to win the game, and we did. We won by 40. Um, we were up by 20-plus at half, including playing those JV guys. We committed five turnovers in 36 minutes. It's a high school team. Okay? So when you talk about don't play with your food, when you talk about focus on playing basketball the right way. We're talking about a high school team goes out there and commits five turnovers playing against a undermanned team that does not have the talent we have. But our focus was to go out there and play clean basketball no matter who we put on the floor. We made that a focus with our kids, right? And so, again, it kind of goes back to the focus. Now, the Grizzlies game was a TNT game. So on national TV, right? So, uh... Ant goes for 26 in the second half. He's got the highlight of the week. 
you know, to throw it off the backboard to yourself, dunk, which, yeah, it's cool. It's fun, right? Um, he really turns it on in the second half of that game. They finally put away the Grizzlies. All the national media attention comes with it. Fans have been talking about how, you know, why the Timberwolves have more national media games? Um, you know, when when is Ant, why is Ant so far down in the all-star voting? We need more national spotlight. You asked for it, you got it. The day after the Grizzlies game, Stephen A. Smith, you know, talking about how when he sees Ant, he starts mentioning him in the same breath of the Kobe Bryants and the Michael Jordans of the world, right? You got uh, Austin Rivers talking about, you know, how Ant's going to be that guy. He's coming. Uh, you know, you got Kendrick Perkins talking about he's going to be the face of the league and they need to start promoting him as the face of the league now. You know who's watching that stuff going, huh, wait a minute, you know, Talking about he's the be- you got guys talking about he's the best two guard in the league or on nights can be the best two guard in the league. You know who's paying attention to that? Shea. Shea Gillis Alexander. You know who's paying attention to that? Devin Booker. Other guys in that two guard, and some people list Shea as a point guard, but at the end of the day, I say he's a lead guard more than a point guard. He could be the one or the two. For a long time, Giddy brought the ball up the court. Now they pretty much just put the ball in Shea's hands. Um, but those guys are watching and listening to that. You know, I believe either that same night or the next night after the Memphis game, Devin goes out, Devin Booker goes out and drops 50 in three quarters. Shea's thinking, okay, we got Ant and the Wolves coming up. It's not just a one versus two battle in terms of the Western Conference, but I'm sure Shea has got a point to make. You understand where I'm coming from? So you want the national media attention? You got it. I got some stats for you, man. This season, Minnesota Timberwolves versus Oklahoma City Thunder. Right now, the Thunder are up a game. Timberwolves are one and two against the Thunder. In those three games, Anthony Edwards has averaged 22 points a game on 47% shooting. Not bad. Below his average. Shooting percentage, not horrible. Shea Gillis-Alexander is averaging 33 points per game against the Timberwolves on 61% shooting from the field. And he's got a 2-1 to head-to-head win. If you ask me, And Timberwolves fans are going to hate me for saying this, but I got to keep it real because I'm a, I I look at it objectively. I'm, I'm an Anthony Edwards fan. I'm a Minnesota Timberwolves fan, but I'm also a coach. And look, I'm a fan of some teams that we play against that at my high school team, I'm a fan of the way some teams play that I'm not even going to say in case our, uh, in case coach O is listening to this podcast, (laughs) but I'm a fan of some teams that I want to beat when we play them. But I am a fan of the way that they play, so I got to keep it real when I evaluate those teams. Right now, Shea Gillis-Alexander is the best guard in the Western Conference. And I would say, offensively behind him, I would put Devin Booker. 
I would give Ant the nod over Devin Booker if you talk about all around. But offensively, I would give Devin Booker the nod, and I would have Ant right now as probably the third best two-guard slash lead guard, if you want to call Shea a lead guard, in the Western Conference. Now, that's no shame. Shea and Devin Booker are both older than Anthony Edwards. Shea and Devin Booker both have more years of experience in the NBA than Anthony Edwards. And Shea and Devin Booker both grew up playing basketball. They have just more basketball experience than Anthony Edwards. So there is no shame in it. So Timberwolves fans, you can tweet me all you want. I'm just keeping it a buck. And there is no shame in that. And I do truly believe that three, four years from now, Anthony Edwards is going to surpass those guys. I believe his ceiling is astronomically high. But right now, the difference between Anthony Edwards and Shea was on display in the fourth quarter of the Minnesota Timberwolves versus Oklahoma City Thunder game last night. I want to break down that fourth quarter because I've been waiting to get to this. I had to get through the rest of the games of the week. And I've talked about how those games have kind of led into what we saw in the fourth quarter against Oklahoma City. And I broke this down. Fourth quarter possessions. At the 355, roughly 355 mark, turnover by the Timberwolves. Carl Anthony Towns doesn't compete for a post-entry pass against the smaller Shea Gillis-Alexander. He lets Shea beat him to the ball. Now, that's not completely Cat's fault, but the fact of the matter is once that ball's in air, Cat cannot let Shea outwork him to that ball. But Jaden throws a softball pass. Just a horrible post-entry pass. Way too much air under it. Way too soft to pass. Just careless. You got a 6'10 guy throwing the ball to a 6'11 slash 7-foot guy and a six throwing it up high, no less. Not even down low where Shea's supposed to be able to get it. Throws it up high and a 6'6 guy beats Carl Anthony Towns to the ball in part because the ball was in air for so damn long. Causes a turnover. That's the first of three turnovers in the last four minutes of that game. Bad turnover. Just bad. And you're playing with a lead. Right? Bad turnover. Careless. Non-competitive turnover. Oklahoma City's competing harder than you are. Remember I talked about Memphis competed harder. Timberwolves just had more talent. Detroit competed harder. Timberwolves just had more talent. Clippers. Timberwolves were sloppy down the stretch. Rudy saved the day. And that one play, you got sloppiness and being outcompeted. None of that has to do with Chris Finch. It's not Chris Finch. Okay? This is player. This is this is player error. Okay? 340 possession. Next possession. Coming out of a timeout. You get ball movement. Ant's got an open catch and shoot three at the top of the key. <clears throat> yes, <clears throat> Lou Dort is closing out. Shouldn't matter. Shouldn't matter. Ant's got options. One, he could have just caught the ball, raised up, and shoot. He had the space to do it. Second option, catch the ball and give a hard pump fake, get a flyby, sidestep or step in for pull-up. Ant turns down the open three, over-dribbles into the paint, 
and then turns it over. Now, this is where I'm going to pick at people who want to pick at the Timberwolves spacing from a coach's perspective. This is where I'm going to pick at people who want to pick at Chris Finch's offense and talk about how and, and act as if Chris Finch is putting these guys in bad positions when if you look at that play and really break it down, the first mistake was Anthony Edwards' indecisiveness. But Anthony Edwards is on record last week talking about how he needs to go ahead and just take more shots down the stretch. He's going to take it upon himself. He's going to get get more shots up. It's on me. I just got to shoot the ball, get more shots up. That's talk. Your teammates hear that. So what actually happened to create that turnover, to create the bad spacing that created that turnover, was after Anthony Edwards drove into the paint. Cat assumed that Anthony Edwards was going to shoot the ball because Cat didn't do the fundamentally sound thing that he, he should have done from his position once Anthony Edwards began to drive. Cat is supposed to circle back behind Anthony Edwards for a relief pass in case Anthony Edwards stops and picks up his dribble. If he circles behind Anthony Edwards the way he's supposed to, he takes, uh, I believe it was Dort, I could be wrong, um, but whoever was guarding Cat is who ended up stealing the pass. But the problem was Cat was too close to Mike Conley, who was standing in the corner where the pass was uh, attempted to go. But the only reason one player was able to guard two was not because Chris Finch designed the offense that way, not because the offense had bad spacing in it, was, but was because Cat was standing and watching Anthony Edwards on his drive instead of doing what your uh, spacer should know to do, which is circle back behind Anthony Edwards. So he doesn't circle back with any sense of urgency. It was lazy, but it was also assuming that Anthony Edwards was going to shoot the ball. So Cat's wrong on both accounts. It was lazy and it was an assumption instead of just doing the fundamentally sound and correct thing, the thing that players are coached to do, which is circle back behind Edwards. Go watch the play if you're listening to this and don't understand what I'm talking about. So then Cat's players actually in the passing lane to the corner pass because Cat's not expecting Ant to make that pass. You could see it if you watch Cat when Anthony Edwards drives. He's not expecting Ant to pass the ball at all. Now, again, I'm going to blame Cat a little bit more for this. Even if you're expecting Anthony Edwards to shoot because he drove from the top of the key, you circle behind him because you then become the back man on defense. You're the person who has to get back in case he misses so that you can stop the transition game. That's not on Chris Finch. That's on your two star players, one of them being indecisive and over dribbling in the traffic, the other one getting caught ball watching, making an assumption and not navigating his responsibility, which is to circle back behind for two reasons. One, so that they're spacing. And two, if Anthony Edwards or Mike Conley does shoot that ball, he's the back man. Go ahead and watch the play again if you don't know what I'm talking about because this is coach speak, right? And that's really the difference between Oklahoma City and the way they navigated the last four minutes and the Timberwolves and the way they navigated the last four minutes. Okay, and I'm going to draw up another, I'm going to give you another example 
um, of Oklahoma City's focus in those last four minutes versus the Timberwolves' focus in those last four minutes that you can't put on Chris Finch. Okay, now the three oh four mark. That's when Mike now Mike Conley now decides to take over the lead ball handler position. He gets Cat and ISO at the top of the key. They got good spacing. Cat makes a good hard drive to the basket. He gets fouled. He goes to the line. He makes two free throws. Now, notice I make a distinction between who's initiating the offense. Okay? Between what happened when Ant initiated the offense and what happened when Cat initiated the offense. What happened when Ant was making the pass or Jaden was making the pass versus what happened when Mike was making the pass. Okay? Now, we go to the 238 mark. Ant, once again, over dribbles into the paint because if you look at the play design, the correct play would have been to early swing the ball to Jaden McDaniels, who was wide open at the top of the key. Now you're forcing Oklahoma City to get in rotation, and Jaden McDaniels can make a play from there. He can make the extra pass. He can pump fake and drive. If they don't close out to him, he had a decent shooting night. He can shoot the ball. There's a lot of things available if you get off it early and early in the shot clock. Instead, Ant holds on to the ball, dribble, 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 picks up the dribble, pump fake, pump fake, Passes it to Cat with a late shot clock. Carl Anthony Towns drives to the basket. He throws a lob pass to Rudy, kind of a no-look lob pass. Rudy is looking at it like a floater. Maybe Rudy should have anticipated the lob. Maybe, you know, we've seen Cat and Rudy be on the same page with that play many times, but Rudy doesn't recognize that it's a it's a it's a lob pass, instead sees it as a floater. Because it's a pass instead of a floater, the ball never hits the rim as Rudy's going to rebound, so he doesn't even get a chance to rebound and miss because it wasn't a shot. It was a pass. Maybe Rudy thought it was going to be a shot because by the time Cat received the ball from Ant over dribbling the ball, it's so late in the shot clock that maybe Rudy is thinking Cat's going to shoot that ball instead of pass it because I think at the time he made the pass, um, there was less than three seconds left on the shot clock. In the grand scheme, a team that's really on the same page in that situation, that's plenty of time to throw a loud pass. But they weren't on the same page. And one of the reasons they weren't on the same page, again, Things get stagnant and players stand and watch when you have a player that has announced, yo, I need to take these shots more. I need to shoot the ball. And then that player dribbles the ball for 15, 20 seconds. Players are assuming he's going to shoot the ball. Okay? So this is where, again, I can't put this stuff on Chris Finch. This is on the players. And that's why Chris Finch was so frustrated at the post-game press conference. That's why he called out the 21 turnovers. That was the third turnover in which now your lead is dwindled. The first turnover was at the 355 mark. That third turnover was at the 238 mark. So in a minute and basically 20 seconds, a minute and, 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 and 17 seconds or whatever of basketball, you've had three possessions and you've turned the ball over. I'm sorry, you've had four possessions and you've turned the ball over three out of four times. And none of those turnovers were necessary. And none of them was the design that the coach wanted. And when they did do the design, the players didn't execute. 
going back to Cat, not circling back and allowing his man to be able to guard two with bad spacing. That bad spacing is not on Chris Finch's offense. That bad spacing is on Carl Anthony Towns. That bad spacing is on Anthony Edwards having space and turning down a shot. Okay, so now let's continue going down the, the, the list of what went wrong down the stretch of that fourth quarter. The 220 mark, something interesting happens. They go to Ant early shot clock, and he just goes. He turns down the screen. I think Rudy's coming to set a screen from his from Ant's left. He turned he turns down the screen because Oklahoma City's trying to force him right. So he takes right, goes to the basket, and makes a really tough finish. You now have a two point lead. You've managed to finally. Even though you've turned the ball over enough to allow Oklahoma City to get back in the game now and tie it up, you take a two-point lead, then you come down defensively on the next possession, you get the ball out of Shea's hands by design. Chris Finch's design. Get the ball out of his hands. You trap him. You make him give it up. Cat unexplicably bites on a dort, a Lou Dort pump fake from about 12, 10 feet and jumps into him for a foul. You can't blame Chris Finch for that. That's all Carl Anthony Towns. You got to do better. There's no reason for him to bite and jump on a Lou Dork shot right there. There's no reason. As a matter of fact, when Shea Gillis-Alexander tied up the game on the play before Ant goes to the basket and makes the layup, Shea Gillis-Alexander gets to the exact same spot on Carl Anthony Towns, and Shea rises up, and you don't even jump and contest. You just stick a hand up. But then Lou Dort, who's not nearly the offensive player that Shea is, draws you into the web with the pump fake up two. You got to be smarter than that. That's not Chris Finch. That's not Chris Finch's offense. I'm defending the coach. That's on the players. Cat, you got to be better. Next position, next possession. Come down the floor. Jaden misses a late shot clock three on the kick out. Maybe he could have driven it, drove to the basket, but it was, again, a late shot clock. I think he caught the ball with five or four seconds left on the shot clock. Yeah, that is enough time on a hard closeout to pump fake and go hard to the basket. But again, we're talking about a 23-year-old player. He's made some shots. He's made that shot quite often. Um, he didn't miss by much. But I want to point out something. Go back to the uh, possession where Shea Gillis-Alexander hits the three-point shot. I believe it was the next possession. Hits the shot to give Oklahoma City the two-point lead. Notice the difference. Uh, no, I believe it was that next possession after after uh, after uh, Jaden misses. That's right, because Dort made one of two free throws when Cat fouled him. So the Timberwolves come down up one. Jaden misses. When they started that possession, when Ant made his move to start that possession, there was 10 seconds on the shot clock, which is what caused Jaden to catch the ball late shot clock. If you are interested in what I'm talking about from a coach's standpoint, Go back and watch what happens, what Oklahoma City does after Jaden misses that shot. Watch the pace that the Oklahoma City players get up the floor with after they rebound the ball. 
So when Shea goes into his move, the floor is already spread. Oklahoma City's players have already gotten to their spaces on the floor so that they can initiate their offense, and there's 18 seconds on the shot clock. They hustled down the floor to get to their spots. On the previous possession, when Ant starts um, initiates the Timberwolves' offense with 10 seconds on the shot clock, the Timberwolves basically walked, sauntered, jogged up the floor to get to their spaces on offense. So now they're initiating their offense with, you know, over half the shot clock already gone down. Meanwhile, Oklahoma City locked in, focused, playing hard, playing serious basketball. They get a rebound and they get up the floor. And now your defense is at a disadvantage because they can do anything they want with 18 seconds left on the shot clock. So Jaden McDaniels is actually setting himself, preparing for a screen or preparing for a Shea drive. And Shea just gives him a hard, you know, a hard jab step, steps back behind the three-point line and lets him have one right between the eyes because that's the last thing you're expecting from Shea at that point in time. But Shea has the basketball intelligence to understand. Oklahoma City has the sense of urgency to understand, get up the floor so that they can initiate offense early and get whatever they want. And Shea got whatever he wanted and he splashed it. But it started with the sense of urgency with which they went up the floor after they rebounded the miss, something the Timberwolves were lacking. They got a missed free throw and started offense with 10 seconds left on the shot clock. There's no excuse for that. Okay, so again, that's not coaching. I know Chris Finch doesn't want them to go in the late game offense with 10 seconds left on the shot clock. How do you know? Because he said as much against uh, after the Boston loss. He talked about dribbling out the clock. The players have to be coachable. I'll say that again. The players have to be coachable. I don't think Taylor Jenkins is a better coach than Chris Finch. I think they're on the same parallel. I think Oklahoma City's players are more coachable. I think the Timberwolves have more individual talent, which is why they're in first place and Oklahoma City's in second place, but only by one game. Because if the Timberwolves players were more coachable, they wouldn't be 29th in the league in turnovers and they would be in first place by more than one game. Yes, I'm defending Chris Finch, but I'm giving you the receipts. And the Oklahoma City game on the heels of being out-efforted against Detroit and Memphis on the heels of late-game implosion against the Clippers that almost cost them a game, late-game implosion against Boston that did cost them a game, late-game implosion against Dallas that did cost them a game. Yeah, I'm a little hot. I'm fired up. I'm fired up. The coach and the culture listening audience. But I'm giving you the receipts from the way a coach is looking at it. I wish I could be sitting down having this conversation with Chris Finch. I wish I could be in the film room. I really wish I could be in the film room. We'll continue forward. I feel like I'm sounding like Stephen A. Smith right now. <laughs> Let me calm myself down a little bit. Oh, <laughs> uh, 114. Very next possession after Shea splashes the three. Noteworthy. Why? Mike Conley initiates offense, not Anthony Edwards. The offense starts at 15 seconds on the shot clock. 
it ends up with uh, Oklahoma City has to foul Rudy or he's going to get a dunk after good ball movement. Lands with Rudy catching the ball pretty much all alone on the baseline. Now, good foul by Oklahoma City. Can't give up a dunk at that point in time. Uh, only up um, up two to tie the game. Rudy's a 60-something percent free throw shooter. Absolutely a good foul by Oklahoma City. However, what is noteworthy, Mike Conley initiates offense. They get Carl Anthony Towns to the free throw line for two points clean. Mike Conley initiates offense. They get Rudy Gobert in a situation where Oklahoma City has to follow him or he's going to dunk the ball and tie it up. Okay. Um, Rudy splits a pair. Now you're down one. Next offensive possession after two free throws, I believe, by uh, by Jalen uh, of Oklahoma City. Williams. 38-second mark. Coming out of a timeout. Mike Conley misses a kickout three. On one hand, Mike Conley has made that shot countless times. Now I'm going to connect the back-to-back, the three games in four nights, to Mike Conley's performance. Now I'm going to connect the fact that the Timberwolves not putting the stomp down on Oklahoma City and putting the stomp down on, I mean, sorry, not Oklahoma City, on Memphis, and putting the stomp down on Detroit comes back to bite them in the butt. Mike Conley goes one for 11, one for nine from three, easily his worst shooting night of the season. The last shot, like many of the other shots he took last night, were short. Short shots is a sign of dead legs. Dead legs is often what happens to any player on the third game in four nights. Your 36-year-old point guard midway through the season, this is the first game of the second half of the season, they could have done themselves a service had they brought the right intensity, the right frame of mind, the right effort against Detroit and against Memphis Again, Chris Finch, not a happy coach after the Detroit game, even though they won the game, because he knows. The Memphis game, you have to go into the fourth quarter and you need a 20-point advantage, 37-17 fourth quarter, in order to win that game. Mike Conley plays 30 and 29 minutes in those two games. Those are games in which he probably should have played 24 in 22 minutes and so he misses short there were other options on that particular play but again even though they come out of a timeout to get that particular play I believe Ant goes into his drive with 10 seconds or less on the shot clock he makes the pass to Mike Mike Maybe could have made the extra pass to Cat in the corner. We've often asked for Cat to be in the corner. He's a great corner three-point shooter. He's also great at attacking closeouts. Maybe Mike makes the extra pass, especially on a night where he's not really hitting shots. But he's a veteran. He, he's he's the he's the he's the Yoda of the Jedi Council. 
So you can't fault him for taking that shot, even on a cold night. I think the bigger issue is if we get into the play sooner, maybe he thinks, let me make that one more pass to Cat. You know, hindsight's always 20-20 in that situation. But again, I'd like to say that if Mike's not playing 29 minutes and 30 minutes against a bad Detroit team and a injury-depleted Memphis team, then maybe he doesn't go one for 11 when you really need him on that third game in four nights against Oklahoma City. And for the listeners, now I'm going to speak as a player. It is much easier to have legs on the second night of a back-to-back than it is on a third game in four-night scenario. You're still in routine when you have a back-to-back. Play at Detroit, hop on the plane, come home, go get up in the morning, go get your treatment, get some shots up, some individual work, get some more treatment, come to the gym, got your shoot-around, home gym, got your shoot-around, get your body right. Your body's still in routine. Your body is still energized. You just played the night before. Mike has even mentioned that he has told Chris Finch that he feels like he plays better on the second night of a back-to-back. You still feel pretty good on the second night of a back-to-back. Heck, they showed that in the back-to-back against Orlando and Boston going into Boston and taking him to overtime on the second night of a back-to-back. That third game in four nights, when you have that day in between, that's usually a day of treatment, stretch, maybe you get some shots up, but that's usually an off day. Now that lactic acid didn't really set in, even though you're trying not to let it set in, you had a chance to actually sit down on your couch and relax a little bit, maybe even watch a little TV, play with the kids, kind of your body's kind of in mode. And then that next day, your body's still in mode, but you got to play against the number two team in the conference. So on 36-year-old body, I bet that if you ask Mike, that three-game and four-nights thing, that third game is a lot more taxing on your legs, even if you feel like you have legs, than it is that second night of a back-to-back. So that's where playing with your food bites you in the butt. And... The Timberwolves have a lot of back-to-backs coming up. A lot. They're not necessarily all against the toughest teams, but they have a number of back-to-backs coming up, which means they also probably have a number of three games and four nights coming up. Hopefully they learn from this. Don't play with your food. Put the stomp on those teams. Get the Let the fourth quarter be Jordan McLaughlin and Josh Minot and Wendell Moore Jr. time. Get some Leonard Miller action. Those Luka Garza out there. Let's make sure that the the, the 36-year-old doesn't have to play more than 25 minutes maximum when you're playing bad teams on a back-to-back. This is also leading into something that we're going to talk about when Lance comes back because we did say we were going to discuss it after they went through that gauntlet stretch of 16 games against teams over 500. And we talk about what do the Timberwolves really need. I think last night settles it for me. They absolutely need a backup point guard. Or you need to play Jordan McLaughlin more minutes against some of those lesser teams, and he's just got to prove that he can be it. You can't keep playing Mike 
30 minutes on back-to-backs, especially when you have three games and four nights and you're playing against bad teams and then you got to play against a quality opponent on that third game. I'm really rooting for Tyus Jones. And if you're not going to bring in a Tyus Jones, I would love to see if they can pry Luke Kennard away from Memphis. Um, I, But, you you know, uh, uh, Burks, you got to get somebody in here. You got to get somebody in here. That one for 11, what that said to me is it's going to be a long second half of the season for Mike Conley when they have this many back-to-backs, which means probably quite a few three games and four-night stretches. That one for 11 was the deciding factor for me. We got, we've got we got to start to get Mike rest because he didn't have the legs. He just didn't have the legs. So um, moving forward to end the fourth quarter debacle, <laughs> right and that and that pretty much was it right at, at um you know mike misses that three at the 38 second mark that was the opportunity for them to go ahead and take the lead that was the go ahead uh shot they missed that oklahoma city comes down makes two free throws Nas reed goes to the basket gets a layup chris finch draws up a beauty with no timeouts which means that play was already drawn up and we're going to, you know, people want to bash on Chris Finch. Come on now, let's talk about it. You can't bash on Chris Finch. That play was something they have practiced, something that was drawn up. And I'm talking about the play that got Anthony Edwards fouled and got him three free throw attempts. That was great coaching. They were ready for that play. Like Again, it's either something they had practiced prepared in the back pocket or something that they drew up at the previous timeout. They ran a great play. Anthony Edward gets fouled. He has a chance to tie the game and make three free throws. And I'm going to be honest, as I sat there watching the game, I said, he's not making these. I knew he was going to miss one. I didn't expect him to miss the first two, but I knew he was going to miss one. I knew it. Um... When you got everybody talking about you, when you got Stephen A. Smith comparing you to the Michael Jordans and the Kobe's, and oh, by the way, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant have both missed some clutch, some clutch free throws in their career. Michael Jordan has had some dud games against key opponents. He didn't always kill Detroit. He didn't always kill the Knicks. He didn't always kill the Pacers. He killed them a lot, but he didn't always kill them especially early in his career. So I don't want to say that Stephen A is wrong, but what I'm saying is too much to whom much is given, much is expected. And Anthony goes to the line, chokes the first one, chokes the second one, really chokes the third one when you consider the fact that you got to know that you have to at least hit the rim. And I don't know if that was I'm deflated and I basically threw in the towel or inexperience being in that situation, but you got to at least give your team a chance, especially when you got Rudy in there fighting for a tap out. So, you know, you turn the ball over by yourself twice in the last three and a half minutes of the game. You miss three free throws. Shea badly outplays you. Shea goes three for four down the stretch of the game. Um, Rudy gave your team a chance. Much like in the Clippers game, Rudy tried to save the day. His defensive possession against Shea that uh, created the miss, that gave you a chance to uh, go up 
um, before Mike Conley, uh, yeah, before Mike Conley's mystery was a great contest by Rudy. Um, Rudy goes to the line against the Clippers. He makes all of them down the stretch. He misses one in this particular game. So instead of a tie game, you're down by one still. But Rudy gave it. He gave it his all. You know, um, this is coming down to the players. This is coming down to the players. I'll say it again. I don't think Oklahoma City has a better coach. Yes, this podcast is as much about defending Chris Finch as anything. I think he has more coachable stars. I think he has more coachable players. I don't think that his offense is the problem. I don't think it's spacing as much as it is, is as much as it is intentionality, decision making, and playing the play versus playing the expectation of your teammates. My example of that is Carl Anthony Towns expecting Anthony Edwards to shoot the ball and not getting to where he's supposed to be. Rudy Gobert expecting Anthony Edwards to shoot the ball or expecting Carl Anthony Towns to shoot the ball and not being prepared for the lob pass. That's what I mean by playing the play versus playing the expectations of your teammates. You know that you you know what they say about assumptions, right? When you assume you make an ass out of you and me, <laughs> right? And so that's the point that I'm getting at. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, here we are. All is not lost. You got some very winnable games coming up this week before you go to Oklahoma City for a chance to get some get back on the road. Um, it's the turnovers. It's the turnovers and the decisions. The bottom line is, you know, people want to talk about their offensive rating. Oklahoma City is a very good defensive team. I think they're sixth in the league in defensive rating. The Timberwolves, in the one quarter, they did not turn the ball over. The third quarter, they had one turnover in the third quarter. They outscored Oklahoma City 29 to 17. I'll say that again for the listeners. In the one quarter that they did not turn the ball over, they outscored Oklahoma City 29-17. to They had 13 turnovers in the first half. 13 turnovers in the first half, and we're down by three at half. They committed seven turnovers in the fourth quarter and scored 14 points. Oklahoma City almost had as many points off of Timberwolves turnovers in the fourth quarter as the Timberwolves scored the entire fourth quarter. I believe Oklahoma City had eight points off of turnovers. The Timberwolves scored 14 points. I don't think Oklahoma City will feel like they necessarily played a good game. They didn't beat themselves. The Timberwolves beat themselves. Against Boston, the Timberwolves beat themselves down the stretch. Against Dallas, the Timberwolves beat themselves down the stretch. They almost beat themselves down the stretch against the Clippers. You cannot get away with that when you are playing Shea. You cannot get away with that when you are playing Jason Tatum and Drew Holiday and Jalen Brown. You cannot get away with that when you are playing Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. You almost didn't get away with it against Harden, Kawhi, and PG. Let's stop blaming Chris Finch. 
He's putting them in positions to win. He's got them in positions to be in first place. You can't say that the players are the reason they're in first place and every time they lose, it's Chris Chris Finch's fault. It's Chris Finch's offense. You can't say that. The coach might be putting them in position to win in spite of themselves at times. Come on. Come on. Let's keep it a buck. Let's keep it a buck. So, you know, and this whole structure versus flow conversation. So we're in practice. I'm just going, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to simplify it like this. We're in practice and we're putting in, we have, we have our staple play, right? And then we're in practice and coach O is going through all of the different variations and which ways the players can score off of that staple play, depending upon who's being guarded by who, who should be getting the ball in certain positions, time and score of the game. We're going through all of these scenarios from one set structure. The structure is the design of the spacing and the initial movement. I refuse to believe that Chris Finch doesn't have initial movements and design of spacing where guys are going to go or where guys should go to initiate the action. The rest of that is all flow from there. You have to be able to react to what the defense is doing because you cannot go into a playoff scenario Calling a play every trip down court. You can't do it. Teams scout too good. In a playoff scenario when teams are game planning for one team that they're going to play four to seven times, they're going to kill every single one of your plays if that is your approach. You have to be able to play in flow. You have to do it. And you have to be able to make the right reads, and the right decisions, and it does look um, improvisational, especially to the untrained eye. But the flow is out of what's going on on the floor. Let's get to the right stuff. You can't overstructure basketball. We don't do it at the high school level. Now, coming out of a timeout, yeah, we're going to have uh, 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 out-of-timeout play. We're going to have an after-time uh, ATO actions. We're going to have blobs. We're going to have baseline out-of-bound actions. We're going to have slobs. We're going to have sideline out-of-bounds actions. We have some specialty plays that when we absolutely demand that, you know, when we want to demand the ball go to a certain place, we get to it. But we don't play most of the game like that. We're not teaching kids to play like robots. Basketball is a game of flow. The structure sets the positionality. The rest of that is all flow. The, the Timberwolves are not doing that Chris Finch wants them to do is the things that I talked about in that fourth quarter meltdown. Hustling up the floor so that you can get into your offense early. That's flow. Circling back behind a penetrating guard who starts his penetration at the top of the key. That's flow. You're supposed to do that. 
so that you have good spacing. Those are player decisions. You show it to them on film time and time and time and time again. Even NBA players have what we call light loss. Light loss is when the lights go on, all players are going to lose a certain percentage of the game plan or their basketball knowledge or your structure or what the coach has been working on trying to accomplish with them. In high school, you get a lot of light loss. In the pros, you should have a lot less of it. But you're going to have some percentage of it. The Timberwolves had a lot of light loss in the fourth quarter of that game. Hell, Anthony Edwards forgot to take his time and focus in on clutch free throws. That was nerves. That's light loss. So, Carl Anthony Towns doesn't circle back. That's light loss. The Timberwolves don't hustle up the floor on offense to initiate their offense early. That's light loss. Oklahoma City didn't have a lot of light loss. They executed. They were composed. And so they just took advantage of the Timberwolves' mistakes, and that's how they won the game. So now, can the Timberwolves learn from it? That's the question. That's what's next. You move on. When are we going to stop making the same mistakes? They got Charlotte tomorrow night at home. 9-31 and 31 Charlotte. Are you going to play with your food? Or are you going to get Mike some rest? Because then you got a road back-to-back against Washington, 7-35. and 35. It sure would be nice to get some rest in the fourth quarter. And then you follow that up with Brooklyn, 17-25. and 25. But Brooklyn has a couple players that traditionally give the Timberwolves fits. The name Spencer Didwitty should strike fear in the hearts of Timberwolves fans because Spencer Didwitty absolutely kills the Timberwolves for whatever reason. So they have some players that, you know, Mikael Bridges just goes off on the wolves. So you got to be locked in. Then you go to San Antonio. That's a third game in four nights scenario. Wimby's getting better. He's getting better. They're only 8-34. and 34. You got to win these three games. You don't. You can't afford any bad losses right now because – You've given away some against some good teams that are games you should have won. And then you go to Oklahoma City to start the following week with Dallas and Orlando coming to town. So you really got to have a week in, this week in which you go 3-0. and Pressure's on, Wolves. Pressure's on. And from a coach's standpoint, Are we going to match the energy and effort and not play with our food, not put ourselves in position to have a tired 36-year-old point guard on the third game in four nights? Are we going to close games? Are we going to talk about the turnovers or are we going to clean them up? Because these are not offense design turnovers. These are personnel decision-making and uh, effort turnovers. Don't get beat by a 6'6 guard to a post-entry pass from a 6'10 wing to a 6'11 7-foot center. Ridiculous. Don't stand and watch Anthony Edwards 
and not circle back behind him when he drives into the middle of the floor like you're supposed to do so that your guy can guard you and the corner guy at the same time. That's high school. That's not Chris Finch. So, now, from the coach's standpoint, also, this ain't high school. You can't just make these guys run a bunch of killers, suicides, man makers, whatever you want to call them. We call them Spartans at Richfield. You can't just be like, we're going to run it out of you and punish you guys that way. The outcome is the accountability. You can't sit Anthony Edwards and bench him in the fourth quarter. Or, I don't know, you're playing Charlotte at home. Maybe you can. (laughs) Maybe at the end of the day, you have enough confidence in the kid Alexander Walker to make the right decisions. You're like, "Ah, and you got two turnovers in the first three minutes of your stint in this fourth quarter, because Ant usually comes in with about seven minutes to go in the fourth. You got two turnovers at the five-minute mark, bad decisions, over-dribbling the ball. Maybe you can use a Charlotte game to make a point. Let's hope he doesn't have to. Let's hope he doesn't have to. Uh, We'll be back next week live from uh, the Dream Shop. 3701 Fremont Avenue, Fremont Avenue North. Lance will be back. We'll be live on video. Lance is the good-looking one, so if you like watching this on YouTube, if for no other reason, you know, check in, check check us out and hit the like and subscribe button on YouTube for our Every Other Week video podcast. And, you know, if nothing else, put it on mute and stare at the good-looking one. Uh, I'm the ugly one. <laughs> I'm the coach. Um and, uh, you know, hopefully they, they have an undefeated week. If not, there's going to be lots to talk about next week as they uh, continue forward on this journey through the second half of the season. Um, but, yeah, I'm a, little, I'm a little fired up. I'm a little wound up, Lloyd. Uh, con- hope it, uh, concerning trends and hope it never ends. We'll be back. The turnovers are the biggest concerning trend. And they're going to continue to be the talk until the Timberwolves fix it. And fixing it is not a matter of um, anything other than decision-making. Decision-making and intentionality. I don't think Chris Finch's offensive philosophy or his designs are the problem. I think it's all in the execution and the decision-making and the intentionality. Um, Don't make assumptions. Get to where you're supposed to be on the floor. Don't turn down an open shot to dribble into a tough shot. Move the damn ball, move the damn body. It's really not that complicated. Hell, when they did it, they committed one turnover and outscored Oklahoma City by 12 in the quarter. And at the end of three quarters, they were on pace uh, to put up some numbers. They were on pace. If they put up another 29-point quarter, all of a sudden, you know, that's a 60-point half on top of a 54-point half. It's not the Indiana Pacers. But it would have been plenty to win that basketball game. If you don't commit 21 turnovers, imagine how many more points you score. If you commit 10 turnovers, if you commit 12 turnovers, that means you would have gotten nine more shot attempts. If 14 that shoots, dang near 50%. That's 10 more points, not counting any three pointers, not counting any free throws. That's 10 more points. You win the game easily. Clean it up, Wolves. Clean it up. Also, shout out to Jade McDaniels. Brother man had a good week. We beat on him for a couple episodes. Uh, I still would like to see better rebounding from him. 
but he's been more active. He's been more involved. That pass was soft, but he's had a good week. So shout out to Jaden McDaniels. You've been listening to Coach Frank. This is the Coach in the Culture podcast. I hope you've enjoyed. Please check us out on Apple Podcasts. Check us out on Spotify, Audible, Stitcher. Uh, if you have not seen the YouTube episodes, we do YouTube every other week. Video and uh, audio is also up on YouTube. So you can check out the audio only or you can check out the video on YouTube. Hit the like and subscribe button. Uh, I bring it from the coach's mentality. So, yeah, this episode was all about defending Coach Chris Finch and uh, kind of pointing out that uh, our superstars got to be more coachable so that they can receive better coaching so we can get better play. Thank you all for tuning in. Catch you all next Sunday. Thank you very much, Super Producer Lloyd Leon Koo, for hanging in there with me and making it sound good. Peace. Peace.